Welcome to the Convex Conversation with me, broadcaster Helen Fospero. I think it's fair to say Britain's going through a rocky, unsettling time. As a nation, we're mourning the loss of the Queen after 70 years on the throne and getting acquainted with Prince Charles as King Charles. We have a new Prime Minister in Liz Truss and the war in Ukraine shows no sign of letting up. But critically, the UK is in the eye of the storm, in an unprecedented cost-of-living crisis, with the pound weak hitting a record low against the dollar. Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng's emergency budget has been in the headlines almost daily, mainly for the wrong reasons. Prices are rising at rates we haven't seen since the 70s. Energy, food, fuel, council tax, broadband and more are rocketing. Tens of thousands of small businesses are struggling and people of all ages, from students to the elderly, are worried about how they'll get through the winter and pay their bills. So we're dedicating this week's podcast to some practical sound advice and tips from one of money-saving expert Martin Lewis's team. Helen Saxon is deputy editor of moneysavingexpert.com, a site founded by Martin to help us cut costs, find great deals, beat the system in some cases, and fight people's corner. Helen, it's really lovely to meet you at your offices in Soho. Tens of thousands of people rely on Money Saving Expert for all your tips and advice. But for those listening who perhaps aren't familiar with it, just give us a sense of how you see the site and what your aims and ambitions are. Martin founded the site uh, almost 20 years ago now, and our strapline is still cutting your costs, fighting your corner. And that can mean a lot of different things. It can mean finding a new broadband deal that a lot less than what you're paying. It can mean helping you write a template letter to a bank that maybe missold you a package bank account. And we've seen people get thousands back. Similarly, council tax. Again, people getting thousands back because they're in the wrong band. And the gamut runs from energy to reclaim to even just finding you the best deal on an air fryer as we did this week in our email and which absolutely flew so the site is hugely wide-ranging and it just started didn't it as an email from martin to his mates along the lines of get 20 percent off at the pizza place next week yeah so martin tells this story that he'd send an email around to his mates and they'd forward it on to their mates and before he knew it people he didn't know were saying oh yeah i got your email And then he thought, actually, there's probably something in this. And it's it's very clear on the site. And when you talk to him that he paid a developer in, I think it was Uzbekistan, £80 to put the initial website up. And obviously it grew from that. In a very money-saving way, he paid £80 for the initial website to go up. We are living, Helen, it's fair to say, in unprecedented times. And I'm just wondering what it's been like here at Money Saving Experts headquarters in terms of presumably people are looking for more help and advice than ever right now because we have such serious concerns about how we're all going to manage through the winter and come out the other side in one piece. What's it been like for you? So I think for the first probably 15 years of this site's existence, it was fairly bread and butter, here's how you save money on this, here's how you reclaim that. Then we had the pandemic and that was huge swathes of government help, government intervention, how to access these particular support schemes, what they meant for you, what about if you were on the edges and how we did that. There was a a huge shift there and that 
ended. I'm putting air quotes around ended because obviously we still have COVID. But yeah, off the back of that, we, we rolled almost directly into cost of living. It's pretty much a year ago now that we did a, the first bits in our email on look out, your energy bill's about to go up. And little did we know then what was six months a year away with just further rises, further rises, further rises. And obviously there's a bit of a snowball effect because everyone uses energy and if you're paying more then it costs more to produce things and go to the pub and it costs more to produce your dinner and all of this kind of thing. So it just feeds into absolutely everything, everything across all of your personal finance everything is getting more expensive. You're so right about energy and how it's a snowball effect. I've been fascinated actually to listen to interviews on the radio about how it does impact absolutely everything in our daily lives. And prices now, just going to the supermarket and seeing how much a tin of beans has gone up, it's extraordinary. And of course, it all links back to energy. In many ways, energy could be a podcast of its own because I feel like I'm in a thick wood trying to battle my way through and I don't really understand it. Can you explain where we are with energy and price caps and offer some advice on what on earth do we do with our energy prices? So where we are essentially is a price cap, I think, was brought in in 2019. And then we had a normal energy market and you would see that the price cap governed standard variable tariffs, but that you could get fixed tariffs often hundreds of pounds less than the cap. And there was competition in the market, energy companies battling with each other to get custom by offering this good deal or that good deal. Now, obviously, since the wholesale price of energy went up, there isn't that competition anymore. We have fewer energy firms because a lot of them went bust and people had to be transferred to different suppliers. But also there is no scope for the energy firms to offer cheaper tariffs than the price cap. So essentially a lot of people, I think 85% is the latest figures, are on the price cap. Now that was due to go up, I think, to 3,900, perhaps even more than that. And that's obviously why the government stepped in to do the energy price guarantee. And what that does is it caps rates for unit rates and standing charges for gas and electricity. Now, there's been this number bandied around £2,500, and a lot of people have taken it as, right, in no circumstance will I pay more than £2,500 for my energy. That is not true. An average household on average usage, and the average usage is set by Ofgem, will pay £2,500 for their energy. However, if you use more than that average set, you will pay more, and if you use less, you will pay less. So if you think, oh, I can't pay more than £2,500 a year for my energy, that's not true. You can if you use more than the average. So what can we do, Helen? I mean, what's the advice? Do we simply have to use less? Well, that, that's part of it. Now, there is other help available. So there, there is this price cap guarantee and there, there's also help for people on fixed energy deals if they fix to kind of get price surety from even further huge rises, their prices will also come down as well. There's also £400 over winter being given £66-£67 a month off your electric bill. And that's either being given as a direct rebate back into your bank account or it's being taken off your direct debit. Does everybody get that? Everybody gets that. Now, if you're on prepay meters, then it's potentially delivered in a different way. You'll be either emailed the voucher or text message. And when you go to top up, it will be taken off there. And is that a gift not a loan? That's not a loan. So 
Mishi Sunak was Chancellor and back in April he announced some help for the energy market. He did announce a £200 help but that would be paid back over five years. They scrapped that. It's £400 given over six months. It's not a loan. It doesn't have to be paid back. It is a rebate and will be £66-£67 off your bill between October and March. So the price cap itself, when you said that some people think they won't pay more than 2500 but they will, what exactly is the price cap? So the price cap caps what you'll pay for a unit of energy. So if we break it down, at the start, you get a standing charge. That is a charge you pay for gas and electricity every day. And that's just charged every day, whether you use any energy that day or not. Then you pay per unit of gas and you pay per unit of electricity. And those are essentially what's being capped. So for the more energy you use, the more you pay. And obviously, if you use less, you pay less. So as we started saying, is the answer just to use less? Well, it's one of the things that's really going to help. And to be honest, it's going to be the only option for many people because we have the cap, we have the help. There's extra help for people on low incomes, on benefits, pensioners, those with disabilities. There's supposedly more help coming for those who have heating oil rather than gas. The government's still working out the details, but there are people around the edges for whom the help hasn't yet been announced. But £2,500 is still a lot of money and many people will be actually be paying more than that. So some people, the only option will be to use much less. It kind of breaks my heart. There are going to be so many people who are choosing to eat or to be warm, there's going to be some really tough decisions. My mum, who's 80 and not on the breadline, is already working out that she's going to heat one room and wear more jumpers. And just on the tube the other day, I heard three or four university graduates who have started their first job talking about the digs that the rented accommodation they've taken, but the fact that they won't be able to afford to use the heating. I mean, it's a long time since we've been in these kind of conditions, isn't it, where there's going to be a lot of poverty across Britain, I think. Yeah, a lot of us haven't experienced this. I think you'd probably have to go back to the 70s, three-day weeks, all of that kind of thing, to actually get something like what might be being predicted. We've already had a year of price rises. There were already people in April saying, I can't afford it at this rate. And obviously summer helped. People don't tend to need the heating on in summer. But we are now going into winter. And yes, we had to do a guide called Heat the Human, Not the Home. We've heard this week that banks are actually sending links to their customers to this guide. And what did it tell you in the guide? What kind of advice did that offer? It is essentially how do you stay warm if you can't afford to heat your home? Now, there are a few things about not putting the heating on, burst pipes, damp, things like that, things that could actually affect the fabric of your home. So it's something you need to check, something not to be taken lightly, but obviously many people don't have a choice. And it is essentially about layering. It's about a lot of people swear by kind of heated throws, there's hand warmers, all this kind of thing where you you charge up essentially clothing and wear that and then obviously it gives you warmth. And we never thought we'd be in, in a position to have to write that kind of guide. I am old enough, sadly, to remember the 70s. I was only little, but I do remember there were really, really bleak times. And it astounds me that in 2022, we're on the cusp of that. You also give what I really like on your Instagram is some really practical tips. So one I was reading last night is if you cut a minute off your shower, that could save £207 a year in energy bills and a further 105 a year in water bills. You're good at things like that, aren't you? Practical tips. 
We employ a big team here and they go out and research these things. We have a huge forum. I think more than a million people go on our forum and the forum is full of these kind of bits of advice, things that people are doing because maybe they've been in these circumstances before. Maybe they've just had very, very low incomes and had to do these things even while energy prices were at a normal rate. And there's a lot of lived experience out there on the forum and it's a great resource both for us and obviously for people who want to go to the forum to interact, to ask questions, you will generally find that someone has been in the same place as you and has something to help you out. That's what's nice. It's a proper community, I think, and you feel part of the community, I think, when you're part of Money Saving Expert. The question from one of our podcast listeners, Helen, can you explain fixed and variable energy tariffs and how they interact with the price cap? Me and my partner are struggling to understand when is the right time to fix. And indeed, is it too late to fix? The energy price cap mainly governs standard variable tariffs and these used to be the expensive tariffs, the ones that you were on if you didn't switch or didn't want to switch or for whatever reason couldn't switch, whereas the cheaper tariffs were if you fixed with that company and when that ran out and just ran around getting the cheapest rate you could. Now, there isn't really a market for switching energy companies at the moment. A lot of energy companies are making losses. Now, I know that sounds odd, given that we're hearing about huge profits. There's a separation between producing energy and the retail market. Now, the retail market is much more highly regulated. There was a big situation where actually they were paying more for energy than the price cap would let them charge. What effect that had was they weren't looking for new customers because any new customer would represent a loss. And you can't really switch. There are a few energy companies who might take you, but in general, you are where you are. 85% of us are on the standard variable tariffs. And these are the ones that your standing charge is capped and your unit rate is capped. And that's your unit rate for gas and your unit rate for electricity if you have both. So whatever you use, you, you pay the capped rate per unit. If you want to fix, there could be many different scenarios. If you fixed more than a year ago, say you got a two-year fix more than a year ago, you're going to be paying a lot less than that standard variable tariff rate, the price cap rate. That will last until your fix runs out. So the sensible thing to do is stay on that fix. If you fixed relatively recently, you saw all the horror stories about four, five, six thousand pound average energy bills. You might have thought, right, well, if I fix at 3,000, at least I won't get the 6,000. Now, what that might mean is that you're actually paying more than the price cap per unit rate. But what the government and the energy companies have done is they've said, right, we're going to also apply the cap in a slightly different way to those rates. Essentially, what it means is that if your fix is kind of a medium rate fix, which isn't too much higher than the price cap, you will get a discount to take you to the level of the price cap. If your fix is a very, very high level fix, you will get a per unit of gas and electricity discount, but there is a limit to that. So, and I think it's 17 pence per unit of electricity, and I think around 10 pence per unit of gas. Now, if your rates are more, this is quite complex, but if your fixed rates are higher even than that discount, then you will get the maximum discount, but you will still be paying more than 
you would be on a standard variable tariff. Now, what energy companies will let people do, at least the big energy companies, is they will let someone who is in that position, who would be paying more on a fix, even after the discount, than they would on a standard variable tariff, they can exit their fix with no exit fees and they can go on to the standard variable tariff and pay the price cap rates. Obviously, Helen, you're an expert in this field, but how do normal people get their heads around what on earth to do? It's so confusing, isn't it? Yeah, and we at Money Saving Expert, we've put a lot of time, resource, skill, energy into guides on this. We we have a guide on the energy price cap guarantee. We have calculators showing you how much you might be paying under this. We've got a guide on should you exit your fix, which will tell you if you're paying more than this per unit rate, then you're probably one of the people who should get onto the standard variable tariff. So as we've done since the founding of Money Saving Expert, we take these complicated things and we break them down and it's all there on the site. So you can come at your leisure and have a look and we'll take you through it step by step. That's energy. There's so much more to talk about. But I'm wondering, Helen, is it time, do you think, if you're worried about your bills and you're worried about the cost of living, to get a piece of paper and pen out or a spreadsheet on your device and actually do the simple calculation of what's coming into the household and what's going out. Is that a good place to start? Yeah, that's always a good place to start if you don't know, because then you can have a look, as you say, what's coming in, the situation at this moment, and then you can look at it from different points of view. So you look at what's coming in and you go, well, is there any way to maximise that? Am I eligible for benefits, for example? And we've calculators on the site for that as well where you can put in your details and see if you might be able to have a claim so maximize the income side but then there's also the expenditure side there's two things here there's pain-free savings which is things like if you're paying 50 quid a month for your broadband well there's absolutely no need to because there are deals available for 15 20 pounds a month so those are the pain-free savings you'll still get broadband you'll just pay a lot less for it if those pain free savings don't work, then you are in the territory of painful savings. And that is cutting back on things. And it'll be different for everyone. But having it on a piece of paper on a spreadsheet, you will be able to identify, well, maybe we can cut back on that, maybe we can cut back on that. And once you've done this, redo the budget and see after you've maximised the income and tried to make the savings. And when you've done those savings, What about people who still get to the point where they realise there isn't enough coming in and there's more going out and they've cut any kind of luxury items or altered tariffs on perhaps mobile phones or broadband and all that kind of thing? What kind of help is there? And if you really are in dire straits with real financial stress, where do you turn? We try and help as much as possible. But obviously, we can't provide one-to-one advice. And I think those are the situations where you want to go to someone like Citizens Advice, someone like Step Change, and see what they can do to help you. Now, if, if you have debts that you're trying to pay off, then maybe they can help you make token payments just on those debts. While you get back on your feet, you send a pound to the lender every month just to say, look, I'm still paying, I'm still paying. I just can't afford to pay you what you want. But they will be able to work through your budget with you and, again, check any entitlement to benefits or any other help. So if you do find yourself in those situations, you can go and get 
advice, citizens' advice, national debt lines, debt change. They'll all be able to help you run through a budget and just see see what's available to you. There's no need, is there, to struggle alone? Because we all know that money worries, they cause so much stress, so much anxiety. Marriages break down, families break down, people take their own lives when they're really, really stressed. There's definitely support there to anybody listening who really does feel alone and needs more than the money saving expert can help. It is definitely worth it going to citizen advice and people like that. There are people there to listen and to guide. Yeah, absolutely. And Martin Lewis, he founded Money Saving Expert, but he also founded the Money and Mental Health Debt Charity because, as you say, there is a, a huge link between money worries and mental health. So, absolutely, if you are having sleepless nights, anxiety, depression over debt, then or even just spending, then absolutely go and get help. Go and talk to someone. Whist there a few more topics that certainly are of concern. A lot of youngsters now worry that they'll never get on the property ladder and will they ever own their own flat or house? There's a bit of help there, isn't there, from the emergency budget in terms of things like stamp duty. The Chancellor acted and extended the the areas where you don't pay stamp duty and particularly for first-time buyers. Obviously, that can have an inflationary pressure on property prices in and of itself. But the most important thing is to start saving where and when you can. And one of the ways to do this is in a lifetime ISA where you can put in up to £4,000 a year and the government will put 25% bonus on top of that, so a maximum of 1000 So you put in 4000 they put in 1000 and you can do the same the next year as well. Is there a rule that that money then is used for your first property purchase? Is that how it works? It is, yes. So the name Lifetime ISA, it has two purposes. One is for your first home. The other is for retirement. If you need to access the money for any other purpose, then there is a penalty to access it, which is equivalent to losing just over 6% of your own money. So the bonus is taken away and you lose 6% of your own money. So it's quite important to use it for the specified purposes. Gosh, I didn't realise that. If you're drowning in all of this mortgage-wise, I mean, I had a letter, it feels almost weekly actually from my mortgage company, that letter you dread that the interest rates are going up again. Any thoughts on remortgaging, on equity release? What kind of options are there out there if the mortgage is feeling too hefty? Yeah, so remortgaging at the moment, obviously on the heels of energy has has come huge base rate increases and even higher rate increases in the rates offered on mortgages, particularly on fixes. I saw an article yesterday saying the average two-year fix is now above 6%. I think it said for the first time in 14 years. Gosh, I remember when it was about 2.4 not that long ago or something like that. Well, just over a year ago, you could get a five-year fix for about 1%. So it has absolutely shot up. But the very strange thing is at the moment is that you will pay more for a two-year fix than you will for a five- or ten-year fix. It's a very strange inversion of the way things normally work in the mortgage market. But if you are getting a mortgage now and you want to fix, expect to pay more than 5%. Trackers, where it tracks the base rate, you can get for around 3% plus base rate at the moment. But obviously, if the Bank of England raises the base rate over the next couple of years, then you may end up paying more than the fix. So we always say... And I think it holds true more than ever at the moment. A good broker, a good mortgage broker is absolutely worth their weight in gold. Lenders are putting 
mortgage deals out and actually pulling them by the end of the day or the next day. The market is changing the whole time. So for someone who isn't a mortgage expert to keep up is nigh and impossible. So employ a mortgage expert to help you. The other thing I'd say is start early because you can lock in a rate with many lenders up to six months ahead. So actually, if your mortgage ends in the next six months, your initial fixed rate or whatever it happens to be, then you can go to a mortgage broker now and say, my mortgage ends next March, find me a rate, and you can lock it in, potentially in anticipation of further rises. Seen a lot of change politically over the last few weeks and, and months. What about help out there for people at this time from the government? What kind of support is there from the government to help people? We've discussed the help with energy bills. There's the standard benefits system. Again, we have calculators on Money Savvy Expert. It takes about 10 minutes. Put all your details into the calculator, your living situation, how much you spend on rent, whether you've got kids, how much you spend on childcare, your income, all of that kind of thing. And that will tell you if you might be eligible for benefits. If not, there may be help if you're struggling with your mortgage. There is a scheme called Support for Mortgage Interest, as the name suggests. It is support for interest only and it is it is a loan but if you are struggling then it may be something that you can access there as well so there are pockets of support and i think it is just a case of putting in the details of your own situation and and seeing what help there is available and what about the cost of living payments there's a second payment due isn't there i think next month in november how do you find out if you're eligible for that or if you've not applied for that is it too late so these are the the cost of living supports. It's kind of tied in with energy, given that was the impetus for making them. So for most people on benefits, they got a payment, I think it was in July and August, and there's a second payment due. Now, you don't apply for that. Basically, if you are claiming an eligible benefit, you should get that into the account that you got the benefit into. It basically depends on if you were claiming the eligible benefits at particular dates. Now, there was a date in May and I think there was a date in September and you had to be claiming at that particular moment. And if you were, then you will get this payment. Now, for those on tax credits, the payments are a bit later. There's also extra help for those past state pension age and those with disabilities as well. And again, you don't apply for those. Those are given if you're eligible and you're claiming the state pension or disability benefits. And what about tax relief, Helen? Where are we now with that? In the mini-budget, the Conservatives had said in 2024 they'd take a penny off income tax. They brought that forward to April 2023. So what that means is that for basic rate taxpayers, that's those earning between about 12500 and 50000 they'll actually pay less tax. There was the 45% rate abolition, but that didn't last very long and obviously only affected the very rich anyway. What about any tips on cashback or cards to use to get maximum benefits at the moment? Are there any good deals out there on that front? There's a newish card that's been around about a year. It's by big American bank Chase. And they essentially have what you could call a spending account where you open it. You can use it as your main bank account and pay all bills from it. But what a lot of people do is they open it as an adjunct to their main bank account. So they keep their salary going in and the main bills in this bank account and then they transfer spending money over to Chase. And the, the reason to do that is it gives you a 1% cash back on everything you spend and there's no full credit check, so it's relatively easy to get. So that's a debit card option. With credit cards, the main player is Amex with cash back 
different rewards. You do find a couple of others, Sainsbury's Bank, Tesco Bank. They'll give you kind of next points, club card points, that kind of thing. Amex is a bit different. They tend to give you intro bonuses that can be quite lucrative, can translate to like 100 quid of cash back, 5% cash back on your first three months, that kind of thing. Amex also has a rewards program that means you can swap points into a lot of different things. You can swap it into cash back, you can swap it into air miles if that's what you need, hotel points, neck points, like money off at Amazon. There's a lot of places where you can spend the points directly at the checkout now if you have an Amex sometimes you'll be prompted do you want to spend points on this and obviously you get money back that way so they're the main players and I'd say Chase the debit card is probably for everyone I think for credit cards it's probably not for you if you're in lots of debt getting another credit card probably won't help that and it definitely won't help if you can't pay back what you spend on these credit cards because interest will just wipe out any gain you get but if you are debt free if you are lucky enough to be debt free and you're not being rewarded for your spending then why not and if you're lucky enough to have some savings tucked away are there any good savings interest rates around at the moment obviously we've discussed base rates going up on the side of mortgages the corollary to that is that it's also meant that savings rates have gone up so currently at the moment you can get around two percent just over on easy access accounts those ones you can just dip into put money in take money out when you want and more than four percent on fixed rates i think a one-year fix currently pays you about 4.2 4.3 and these rates we've not seen since 2009 however it's always a however, Helen. What's the however? <laughs> it comes back to inflation. You can get 2%, 4% on your savings, but inflation is 10%. So the value of your money in a savings account is diminishing. However, another however, if you have a savings account paying 4%, it's way better than a savings account paying either nothing or 1%, as in at least your money is being eroded less quickly. So it is very much worth looking at what any savings you have are getting and if they're not getting these rates moving them student loans i know this from personal experience at the minute because my daughter's 18 and just headed off to bristol can you defer or get payment holidays or anything like that if you're a student and you've taken loans out only people who started university before 1998 can explicitly defer and they can do that if they're earning under around £30,000. Since then, there's been various different student loan systems. There's currently around four different repayment systems. There's another different student loan system starting next year as well. So it can get complex that all of them have different repayment thresholds. But what that repayment threshold means is that if you earn under that, you don't repay your student loan. If you earn over that, you repay your student loan at 9% of everything you earn over that. So those, depending on which loan scheme you're on, tend to be between about 20,000, 28,000. And yeah, there aren't particularly deferrals on that. You can't say, oh, I don't want to pay that 9% even though I'm earning this. It's basically if you earn over it, you pay it. And if you earn under it, you don't. Fair enough. Childcare. If you're juggling a young family, any extra support in terms of childcare or, or money to support a young and growing family? So there's a few schemes. Obviously, there's free nursery hours for three and four-year-olds. So you should be eligible for those if the parent or both parents earning under £100,000. So do check out entitlement for that. It varies around the UK, but it tends to be between around 15 and 30 hours a week or the equivalent of. 
Outside of that, there's a, a few different things. So if you're on a low income on benefits and you're spending money on childcare, then there are elements of both universal credit and tax credits that you can claim to help you with the childcare costs. If you're not eligible for benefits, then there's a different scheme called tax-free childcare. Basically, if you contribute, say, £800, the government will contribute £200, up to £2,000 per year per child. If you're not eligible for other help and you've not heard of this scheme, do look into it because it's up to £2,000 per child per year, so it could be useful. I have one more question from one of our listeners who says that so much of the cost of living crisis appears to be centred around soaring energy costs. Is now a good time to consider installing solar panels on your house? If so, what would be the expected current payback time based on the cost of the system and the potential savings? With soaring energy costs, if you can generate your own energy and use it, and then you are making bigger savings than you would have been last year for doing exactly the same thing with your solar system. So the payback time has reduced. A lot depends on where your house is facing, where you are in the country. Obviously, if you're in the sunny Cornwall, you're probably going to be doing better than potentially someone in the, in the north of Scotland, just, just because of the geography and the, the, the amount of sun that you actually get. It is a quite a big outlay at the start, so you can get financing to help, but you are looking probably between about £6,000, £10,000, depending on how big a, a set of panels you need and, and all of that. Obviously, the more panels you have, the more you generate. So the big savings come from generating and using your own electricity rather than needing to buy it from the grid. You can export it and you do get paid for what you export back to the grid if you're producing more than you can use within the home or more than you can store within your battery system if you have one. You do get paid. That's not generally a big money spinner. I realised there was a bit of a part two of that talking about batteries. It said, what about adding a battery to the system and the potential benefits versus cost? Does the £2,500 price cap change anything on this front if you've got a battery, I guess? Well, batteries obviously mean that you can store electricity within the home for when you're not generating it. So you have a sunny day, you generate a lot, you can store it within your home, within the battery system, and you can then use it overnight, potentially into the next day. If it's not sunny those days, you can use what you've generated rather than if you don't have a battery, you've, you've exported your overcapacity generation, and then you have to buy back. So it can work out. Again, you have to look at your own system and do your own maths. I feel like you've been on mastermind and I've just fired questions at you. So I just think we should breathe and just find out. Just like to know a bit about you. I mean, how how did you end up at moneysavingexpert.com? Well, it's been a bit of a journey. I first joined, and that's important, in 2012. And I just saw an advert and I thought I'd been working in the financial system. I'd worked for Step Change Debt Charity and then for a Lenders Trade Association. I saw it and thought, oh, well, I know about debt and credit cards and all of this kind of thing. So I applied and I didn't hear anything for a while. And I thought, oh, clearly they've just whatever, doesn't matter. But it just turned out that they knew the job was going quite a long time before the person left. And then they called me in for interview, called me back for a second interview, and I got the job. I actually left briefly in 2018, although that didn't work out, and came back in 2019. 
I've been here ever since. And what do you love about the job? You do help so many people with everything that's on the site. Is there a real satisfaction knowing that this site does actually really make a difference to people's lives? Yeah, and you've hit the nail on the head there. We hear from people who email us and say, thank you. And we we get emails every day. There was one this week from a man who couldn't afford his rail card. Like, rail cards are £30 a year. He couldn't afford it. And he was all ready to say that he couldn't visit people he'd been used to visiting because he couldn't afford his rail card and therefore couldn't afford his fares. And we had a rail card discount in our weekly email last week. And that got the rail card down to £20, which made it affordable for him. And so he could now continue with his visits. It's small things like that, right up to the people who reclaimed £50,000 of PPI when that scandal was going on, and people who get £5,000 back from council tax that they've overpaid for the past however long because they've been in the wrong band. It can be anything, and it's why I do it. I think it's why most of my colleagues do it, that you do get to help people and you do get to hear from those that, that you've helped and... It's humbling sometimes. I'm working for Martin. Martin, I'll, I'll admit, is a very, very good friend of mine. He runs at a thousand miles an hour, doesn't he? What's it like working with Martin and somebody who's as passionate about money saving as you clearly are? You have to try and keep up with Martin, I think, is the way to put it. I really enjoy working here. Obviously, I came back knowing what I was letting myself in for, but he has a hundred great ideas. And he's like, I want to do all of them. So it's basically, you don't necessarily know what's coming next. And it's fun that way. But yeah, I I really enjoy it. He's got such a sharp mind and I think such a social conscience as well. That's what I always admire. He always takes the little man on the street and fights for them, as he did with PPI on a massive scale, which is incredible. Just never play him at Scrabble. I hope you've never played him at Scrabble, have you, Helen? No, I don't think Scrabble is my game. I'm I'm more the numbers person than (laughs) necessarily the words person. But no, that pleasure, I say pleasure in inverted commas, has been denied to me as yet. (laughs) How long, just to finish on, Helen, do you think we're going to be in this kind of state for? Is there any glimmer of hope on the horizon? I mean, clearly you've given us glimmers of hope with what to look out for and how we can help ourselves. But this cost of living crisis, what do you think? How long is it going to go on for? It's quite difficult to say. It's almost how long is a piece of string. There does seem to be quite a lot of different pressures. There's the strong dollar, the the weak pound. We've just heard the oil producers are cutting supplies, which might re-push up fuel prices. We've got the continued energy thing. We've got food prices going up. None of those have kind of let up at the moment. People much cleverer than I seem to say this is definitely into next year, potentially even into the year after. So I think it's kind of a wait and see, a watching brief, but just doing whatever you can within yourself, within your household to protect yourself from as much of it as possible. I think we've just got to knuckle down, haven't we? And trim and cut where we can and be a bit more frugal and keep that sense of community spirit going. Everybody's going to be hurting this winter or vast majority of the country will be. So it feels like we're kind of in this together. Yeah, and we do hear things like that. We heard from a group of three friends and they're retired and essentially Monday they'd go around to one of their houses, Tuesday the next, Wednesday the next, so they only had to heat one house between them. 
it is about, well, what can you do within your own family and within your own household, but also what can you do with friends and neighbours to try and help cut costs across the board. Fantastic. You've been absolutely brilliant. I do feel like giving you a complete mental workout in here. I know that's kind of what you do, but not the pressure of actually being recorded to do it. So thanks ever so much, Helen. I know that your schedule's really busy at the minute, so to, to grab you for this kind of time today has been much appreciated. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Good. You've been listening to Helen Saxon, Deputy Editor of MoneySavingExpert.com, giving some solid tips and advice for navigating ourselves through the cost of living crisis. Download and subscribe to our series at convex.podbean.com or you can search The Convex Conversation on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple and Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to yours. I'll be back with another great guest next week, so bye for now.